All right, tonight, if you would turn to the, uh, the Gospel of John, very first chapter, and if you don't have a Bible here or whatever else, I always uh, am glad. I know we've kind of changed things with, with PowerPoint and all of that and various translations. There was a time when, some of you remember, when uh, the preacher read the Scripture, we all stood and we could all read it together without any kind of amplification by way of overhead projector or PowerPoint. Uh, because we were all reading the same translation. Those days are long gone. And now you can get umpteen amount of translations on your phone, right, from Bible programs that are there. Uh, so it's difficult for us to, uh, to read in unison or understand in unison. And so we, we use PowerPoint to uh, help us in that. But whatever version you're reading from tonight, uh, the first five verses of John start in a unique way as it talks about uh, the entrance of Christ into the world, uh, different from Matthew and Luke that deal with the birth narrative of Jesus and uh, all about uh, wise men and, uh, and angels and shepherds and, and all of that, and Mary and Joseph and uh, Zechariah even before that with John the Baptist coming, the cousin of Jesus. John's, John's different. John focuses, Mark is, you know, starts right out, boom, in the ministry of Jesus and uh, being challenged in the desert with the devil and all of that. But John, much more of a, uh, a heady, a theological talk about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the logos, he was the truth, the identity. Uh, but in verse 5, theme tonight, as you can see, uh, it's like, are you talking about the birth of Jesus? Christmas is over. Well, <clears throat> technically, yes. Uh, the 12 days of Christmas begin with December 25th, the actual uh, day that we celebrate Christmas. That goes through the 6th of January, which is, anybody know what that is, the 6th of January? Epiphany, Epiphany thank you. Exactly. So those are the 12 days of Christmas, December 25th to January 6th. And I love Christmas music. I mean, I start playing that WCDY and Cadillac starts cranking that out, that, you know, on Thanksgiving Day. And some people just get gagged at that. But I, but I love that, with the exception of that song, um, the first day, no, about the uh, you know the twelve days of Christmas, you know, and a partridge and a pear tree, and they go through all twelve of the gifts that is given. It's like, oh my, gag me with a note, you know. Uh, However, when you know the theology, some, how that song was created, that each one of those gifts represents a metaphor for, similarly to um, one of the Christian principles in our life. And always coming back to the partridge in the pear tree is really Jesus sacrificed on a tree. So kind of hidden, cloaked in the language, but um, Christmas leads right in to Easter. Advent connects with Lent. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about the significance of Christ and his coming. And you can talk about that at any point in time in the, uh, in the church year. All right. Um, the significance of Jesus and his birth in the world. So let's uh, go to uh, John chapter 1, verse 5. His life is the light that shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, there are various translations that are there. Anybody have a different translation than, this is the Living Bible, which is a paraphrase, not a translation. Anybody have a different uh, uh, take on that? Whatever Bible you're reading, you want to give it to us? 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. The darkness has not overcome it. The uh, ESV version. Somebody over here. Same, same one? Okay. Is that the version that you predominantly use as a congregation, the ESV? Okay. All right. Solid. Well, it's always, uh, it's always important for a pastor to read from uh, what, uh, what the congregation is reading. And the uh, New American Standard Version for me was one that, that segregated the verses. Every verse, uh, you know, not like the New International Version, which was paragraph and kind of read like a book does. But for memorization, those individual verses were very helpful for me. So uh, for years, people were buying New American Standard Version while I was at First Baptist to uh, follow what I was saying. But pretty much the same. The darkness can never extinguish it, can't put it out, can't seize it, can't grab a hold of it, can't overcome the light. So Matthew, his gospel, starts out with the fact that, that Jesus is the God who came He's basically the God that showed up. After 400 years between Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, and the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, 400 years of silence. They didn't hear from God. Not a priest, not a preacher heard from God in all that time in the Old Testament where we heard God speaking to uh, his men and women there. Nothing until all of a sudden he shows up and an angel talks to Zechariah and gives him the word of God as to what's going to happen. Elizabeth is going to be with child and all, all the rest. So all of a sudden, God shows up again. And in the person of Christ, he's the God who shows up. Jesus identifies his mission as we get into the Gospels. Uh, and that he identifies that as he is the God who defeats our enemy. Um, Jesus says, I came to destroy the works of the enemy. And if I say the first work, you could probably finish it. Because the, the enemy's modus operandi is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, I've come to put that stuff out of business, right? Um, and he also is the God who comes to change our pain into joy, to exchange that. Some people just need to learn how to unwrap Christmas, I mean, I've met so many people that, that Christmas was just, well, they, they dreaded Christmas. They dreaded Christmas because of this, that, and the other thing. And they, they didn't know how to unwrap Christmas at all. So let me emphasize that Christmas, though it may be technically over, even with the 12 days of Christmas, which uh, at Epiphany, that's when the wise guys showed up, right? And, and Jesus no longer in the stable, but was in a home, a house. I'd like to focus tonight on the powerful fact that though he showed up 21 centuries ago, he is still the God that will not be ignored. He shows himself. He is not silent like he was in that intra-biblical period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. One of my most uh, joyous memories of this season uh, in adult life is remembering walking the streets of New York City a number of years ago. We visited my wife Karen's sister and her family, that lived in New Jersey, and they were only about an hour away from New York. Uh, and we went into town on uh, New Year's Eve day. We didn't go for all that craziness at night, but we went in during the day. 
which was, believe it or not, one of the safest days you could ever go into New York. I don't think I want to go into New York today, but then it was the safest day because there was about 12 cops on every corner. You know, they had the barricades out. They were getting ready for all the nuts that was going to take place that night. Uh, but it was, it was exciting. It really was. Uh, you, you go in and all the things that you see, you hear of. I had been to New York before. My children had not. My wife had not. But you're there. And even on New Year's Eve, the music of Christmas is still playing, still playing. And everything you might imagine that the word throngs envelops uh, was there. We experienced it. We were caught up and moved along by the crowds of uh, after-Christmas shoppers on Fifth Avenue. We visited Saks Fifth Avenue to admire all the deco- decorations. We stopped at all the storefronts to see the marvelous mechanical props that uh, hailed the birth of the baby Jesus. Salvation Army Band was uh, honoring Jesus. We went to the top of the Empire State Building. It was just before dusk, and we went to the observation desk. We stayed there until nightfall. All the city lights came on. It was pretty, pretty magnificent. And even atop that second or third tallest building of the city, they were playing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. From there, it was on to Bloomingdale's and Macy's, and the PA systems were singing out among the clueless masses at the cosmetic counters, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. The strains of Handel's Hallelujah Chorus wafted through the avenues as we crossed the street at the famous F.A.O. Schwartz toy store. If you have a kid, boy, don't go in there with them, because, man, that, that's oof. it's just a... Uh, a, a, a wealth of toys. Across the street from that large toy manufacturer is the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. If you've never been there, it's just a magnificent thing to see. A little different than in this photograph because it was Christmas and there was just a plethora of poinsettias all over the church. It was, uh, it, it was gorgeous. Um, a service was going on while streams of gawkers, which included us, looked at this cavernous sanctuary and all of the uh, Christmas gala wardrobe that was in. Felt a little, felt a little bad. We're just in there looking at architecture, and, and, and there's a church service trying to go on. It felt a little out of place. But yet another carol echoed from the walls. And if you walk on the outside of either one of that sets of chairs there, there's a, 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 a hallway to the side of the cathedral that you can walk all the way back. And if you go Behind the altar there, which is a very tiny place, if you walk behind that, it's interesting that there is on a a pedestal table uh, a a statue of Jesus as a toddler. It's a sculpture, beautiful sculpture, but he was maybe two. And he had his hand out, and he's holding the world. It's a powerful image. Powerful image. Rockefeller Center, we went next. Still lit with all of the awesome Christmas tree stuff. And uh, in the center, ice skaters were skating to the tune of Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give ye heed to what we say. News, news. Jesus Christ is born today. But nobody seemed to be heeding. Yet even among that vast metropolis, even in New York City, a city so captivated by its own secularism, charmed by its own sophistication. Even New York City can't get away from him. He is the God who will not be 
ignored. I've been to India five times. I serve on a board of a mission in India that, that deal with the poorest of the poor in southeastern India in the state of Andhra Pradesh and have been out to many of the small villages that surround that small, small community. And no matter what city you go to, in December through January and been there in February, in the outskirts of the city, the entrance of the little burg town, hamlet, whatever, everyone has this huge lit star. 89% of the people in India don't worship Christianity. They're Hindus. They worship 300 million gods. Uh, another 8% are Buddhists. Only 1% to 2% are Christians. But in every single town, they celebrate the star, and their understanding is that's where God shone over the city of Bethlehem for his son to be born. Whether they believe that he is the, uh, the Christ, the Messiah, or not, that you, he will not be ignored. Jesus, the central personality of history, no matter if he is canned in the elevator on the way to the top of the Empire State Building or canonized in some tiny service at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine, whether he's packaged in ribbon, sold for profit, or sanctified in the church where humble people worship, he is the inescapable Christ. He will not be ignored. And all the fury of demon and hell-inspired opposition to his kingdom and to his praise, no matter how hard it seeks to ban the pageantry of his entrance into our world and sterilize, really, the holy celebration of his coming to suit all the antagonism of organized unbelief, Jesus the Christ, God's answer for the troubled heart, just keeps rising again. Why am I talking about Christmas several weeks past Christmas, technically. It's because every Christmas turns out to be an Easter. He just keeps rising. The irrepressible power of his life keeps the song rolling from age to age. It ought to be an overwhelming thing, I think, to those of us who make up his family, call him our elder brother and coming king. The melodies that wherever you went, if you went to Whatever town, shopping, whatever store, shopping, whatever, however big or small, all the songs that you heard blasting onto maybe main streets, and those same songs that store after store play out of their Muzak systems ought to have a savoring the witness of their lyrics. We know that not only the words and the witness of those songs, but we know the one to whom those songs were written and the one who brought this season into being. And the angels who brought the joyous news to those shepherds going about their normal business were in essence saying, we have come to bring you news so spectacular that it cannot be ignored. Because today, in the city of David, is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So there are just two things I want to bring to your attention tonight regarding this man, Jesus. First of all, his is the life that is inescapable. You can't escape his life. No matter where you go, he will show himself. And secondly, his is the light that is inextinguishable. That's what John was saying in John chapter 1. First of all, the life that is inescapable. Ever since the day of Jonah, and probably well before that, no doubt, people have been trying to escape the inescapable. Wasn't it David who said this, if I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I might make my bed in the grave, Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there 
Thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness is going to overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Now, why is darkness and light the same to God? Isn't it because, now if you go to 1 John 1.5, we're in 1 John 1.5, but 1 John, the epistle of John, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, I've got people who will, from time to time, tell me, I've had it all my life, that they're walking with God, all right, while they... Tell me that they're walking in sin. And they many times attempt to convince me that while they know they're not doing what God would have them to do, they are still in close fellowship with him. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that once you come to faith in Christ and you receive him into your life that you're going to be sinless and never sin again. That would be tantamount to heresy. That, 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 that's not true at all. But they would have me to believe that they are walking close to God. And I've even heard those duped in the deepest of sins say that they have never been closer to God because now they know what sin is and what forgiveness is. Really? That's why John goes on to say two verses later, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. You cannot walk with God in the light while you're walking with the prince of darkness. The life that Christ calls us to is a life that is a walk that is inescapable because the Word of God makes it crystal clear. If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, it means that we go back to Dr. Seuss from this morning, right? You got shoes in your feet, you can choose wherever you want to go. I was waiting in the office of uh, the Cadillac Career Tech Center a, a while back, waiting to mentor a, a, a student. And on the wall was this framed statement from one of Dr. Seuss's books that I, that I, that I love. In my, my day, Dr. Seuss was, you know, big. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, the cat in the hat, you know, Dr. Seuss. I don't know what Dr. Seuss's religion was, but there, there were some little things you could learn from Dr. Seuss. But on the wall, I was, I was waiting for uh, a student that was going to mentor at the Career Tech Center in Cadillac. There was this framed... Um, sentence or two from Dr. Seuss's book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Have you ever read that book? Great book to read to a child. Great book to give to a graduating senior. Great book for an adult to read. But this is what it said. You got brains in your head. You got feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Isn't that what parents and grandparents try to tell their kids and grandkids? You got choice to make, girl. Boy, you, you can make the right choice or you can make the wrong choice, but it's your choice to make. You can choose to go any direction you want. You can choose to walk in the light by the power of the Holy Spirit, or you can choose to walk in darkness. But darkness and light are the same to God because there is no darkness where God is. So if you find that you are walking in darkness, don't be fooled, but be assured that you're not walking with God at that moment. There is another aspect of this inescapable life. You can't get away from the life of Christ, and neither can you escape the plan of God. I mean, if you've committed, given yourself to Christ, it's not yours to do with as you hang well please. I mean, we could even go to Jonah. I mean, he, he tried to dismiss 
God's plan for his life. Now, some people will, 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 will take you to 1 John, back to 1 John, and, and chapter 3 and verse 9. You, you've heard uh, this. Um, Those who have been born in God's family do not make a habitual practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Now, wouldn't that say that once you come to faith and God's seed has been born in you and God's spirit is in you, that you can't sin? Well, actually, the, the technical uh, 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 translation of that verse is that once God's seed has been birthed in you, you cannot make a habitual practice of sin. That, that translation said keep on sinning. But you can't make a habitual practice. When we were born in this world, every one of us, guess what? We were sinners, and you know what sinners do? They sin. In sin, my mother conceived me. I, you sin when you're a sinner. But once you come to faith in Christ and you lay your life down to him, guess what? And when we were sinners and sinning, we didn't think too much about it, right? I remember counseling a woman one time, and she had recently come to faith in Christ and talking about you know, sexual infidelity that she was involved with and promiscuity and saying you know, the, what the Bible says about that. And as I explained that to her, she said, really, it says that? I had no idea. Before we came to Christ, we just we sinned. But after we've come to Christ and his seed is born in us, we just can't go on making habitual practice of sin without our brains, our mind, our heart being tremendously convicted. You may go on sinning, but you can't go on willfully sinning without any consequence. That's what 1 John 3, 9 tells us. You can't just keep doing what you hang well pleased. Back in the day when, uh, when trains and uh, uh, subways were the, the way of transportation, in New York City we got on the subway, gave our children a chance to experience that. But you hopped on a train. Well, there was a fellow that hopped on a train in New York, and he told the conductor that he was going to Fordham Station. And the conductor said, well, I'm sorry, but we don't stop at Fordham on, on Saturdays. But I will tell you what I do. Uh, what I'll do. When we, when we get to close to Fordham Station, I'll have the conductor back there, uh, slow the train down, the main conductor who's in charge of speed, uh, and uh, when he gets to a certain, we have stop, but I'll open the door, and you can hop out, but when you hop out, you better be busting a run, because if not, you're going to fall flat on your face, and you're going to break your nose. Guy says, hey, I'm good with that. You slow down. I'm good with that. So they get to Fordham Station, he, he has the train slow down, opens the door, guy hops out, and he is at a dead run. The conductor on the car behind comes up, sees the guy running, opens the door, grabs him, pulls him back into the train, says, hey, buddy, you're lucky this train don't stop at Fordham on Saturday. Now, I, I, I tell you that story just because I meet all kinds of people all the time who live on the premise that they're in control of their lives. They make plans, they set schedules, they devise schemes, they do as they hang well please. And if life does not stop for them, they simply try to alter things by plotting with this conductor and that conductor to slow down the train so that they can be accommodated. And then all of a sudden, just when we're convinced that we're really in control of our lives, we're calling the shots, 
Just as we're hopping off that train to run to our next destination, God reaches out his inescapable hand and says, hey, whoa, buddy, this train doesn't stop at this destination for you, friend. I got other plans for you. We can't escape the plans of God with our puny plans. His light is not going to be outshone or overcome by another light, any other light. But not only is Christ's life inescapable, secondly, his light is inextinguishable. John says to us, John 1, 5, the light that shines in the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it, did not comprehend it. Now, the Message Bible says something a little different. It says the life light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness could not put it out, could not extinguish it, is, is again one of those translations. I love the story about the woman who braked at a stoplight just behind this large panel truck. And all of a sudden, the driver of the truck jumps out of the cab at the red light, and he's got a club in his hand. He runs around the side of that truck, and he bangs on the side of the panel, runs around the other side, bangs on the panel, runs around, hops in the cab, shuts the door, light turns green, he takes off. Gets to the next light that turns red, he stops, hops out of the cab, got the same club, bangs on the side, runs around, bangs on the other side, comes around, hops back in the cab, shuts the door, light turns green. He got, Well, the lady behind him was just going crazy. What in the world is this guy doing? So she decides she's going to follow him until he gets to whatever destination that is. He finally comes into whatever business he comes into, and he pulls in and gets out of the truck, and she hops out of her car, and she's right behind him. And uh, amazed and bewildered, uh, you know, she says, hey, I have been following you for miles. I couldn't help but notice that every stoplight you jumped out, you beat on both sides of your truck. I'm just dying to know, why are you doing that? He says, well, lady, it's like this. This here is a one-ton truck. And I got two tons of canaries on board. And if I don't keep at least half of them flying in the air, my truck is going to overload and break down. <laughs> now, I dare say that fella couldn't pour sand out of a boot if the instructions were on the heel. He's pretty dense, right? I mean, the, the gist of the story basically is that that truck driver's dilemma describes the stressful lives of a whole lot of individuals. Many people have tried to seize the Christmas season, and have missed the central element. And they get to now after the season, and they are depressed. They got a couple of tons of stuff planned and only, only a ton of space to get it all in. I remember as a pastor when Christmas season, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, uh, I had more counseling in that month than I had the entire year put together. People were stressed out. They were going to families. They were having dinners. They, were, they had issues with families that members that were troubling this, that, and the other thing. We had choir concerts and three-night drama musicals and uh, all, all these different community events joined with other churches, and you were just chasing your tail. And I remember one year, I remember praying and said, Lord, we're, we're coming into Christmas. Just help me get through it. And when I, when I heard myself say that to myself, it kind of grabbed me short. And I thought to myself, I'm asking God just to help me get through the season of the birth of salvation. What kind of fool am I? Get through it? And from that moment on, no matter what was going on, I didn't do it perfectly, but I said, Christmas is a season to be enjoyed, to be celebrated 
to be elevated, uh, not to be stressed out over. You know, people have missed what they've also been missing throughout the rest of the year many times at Christmas. And that's, that's Christ. Their lives are overloaded. They're heading for a breakdown physically, spiritually. Is it any wonder that they miss the joy that the angels announce? And they miss it year after year after year. I know I did. Well, truck driver had some choices. Well, let's go back to Dr. Seuss. First of all, you know, this guy could have uh, keep all the canaries flying until uh, he collapsed from fatigue, right? I mean, that, that is a choice. Some folks choose that route. They try to keep all the canaries in their life flying. Ball games, toe dancing lessons, music lessons, Rotary Club, Kiwanis, bowling league, Monday league, Friday, you know, until they drop. Second thing the truck driver could do, open the doors and let some of those canaries go. <laughs> Frightens a lot of people when you tell them that a quick assessment of their lives indicates that they are overcommitted and they need to reprioritize their lives. But they say things like, uh, oh man, I couldn't give that up. Uh, that over there, I mean, that's too important for me to leave behind. That over there, I could never drop. And many of those folks have scheduled God right out of Christmas and out of the rest of their lives. He's been crowded out. Well, the truck driver had a third choice. He could have gotten a different truck, right? He could have got a bigger truck, a different truck. All kinds of institutions these days, government, schools, businesses, churches, have started to restructure, resize, downsize, right-size, even reinvent themselves to cope with the changing demands of our world. My own denomination, and I'm guessing quite likely maybe the Christian Reformed denomination as well, but my own nationally, regionally in the state of Michigan, faced with these cultural changes and fiscal pressures, they find themselves having to rethink the load and redesign the truck. Things just can't work like they used to. Why do we think, if they ever did, why do we think that it would be any different in our individual lives? Some folks are going to have to get a bigger truck. And some don't even believe in God. They say that science is all that we need and can explain who we are and where we've come from. Perhaps um, some of you can recall the day when they actually asked you to read some real books in school. And I don't know if you've ever read uh, Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe. You know, some have seen the movie. But uh, Robinson Crusoe, interesting book. If you remember, Crusoe is marooned on a desert island in the South Pacific. And Crusoe ingeniously adapts to the island. He tames goats. He makes his own clothes. And from the jungle, he finds sufficient food and, and water. This was the original Survivor long before it was on television, obviously. But the book is really not a study in survival. It's a study in loneliness. Very interesting book. And don't you know that Christmas is a time, by the way, of loneliness for many, many people. There's been a family member that died this last year. Some of them died very close to the holidays. There is a, a place at the table that is empty, that, that where it once was filled is no longer there, and they don't know whether they can bring up stories about them and laugh, or is that disrespectful, or talk about them and cry and ruin everybody's you know, potato salad or whatever it is, but they, they just don't know how to handle it. It's a struggle. Caruso longed for human companionship, and then one day he was walking along the beach, and he saw in the sand this human footprint, a single bare human footprint. It wasn't his footprint. 
and he knew only a human could have made that indentation in the sand. He realized that he was not alone after all. He also realized that the person who made it has got to be pretty near because the incoming tide had not yet erased the footprint from the sand. All these things he knew to be true, even though he had not seen another human being since he arrived on that island, and that was for quite some time. All his knowledge was gained from a single mark on the sand. Now, if one print of a bare human foot on a spit of sand is absolute proof of the existence of a human being, what are we supposed to, see, to think when we see the prints of God's fingers covering the entire world? We see things around us in nature that could only be attributed to a master designer. Only God could have designed those things. We see rivers, oceans, Montana and its mountains and its uh, valleys. We see the oceans fed from the sky. We see a great universe, perfectly made, perfectly ordered. What do all these millions of footprints on the created order really mean? They mean, do they not, that we are not alone. A living God has been here and is here. Psalm 19.1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. I guess I didn't put that on the slide. Besides all of this, the one born in Bethlehem, in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend, nor could it extinguish it. Jesus Christ, still the King of kings, there's no getting away from it anywhere. He will not be ignored. <laughs> Don't even try. We used to sing a song back in the day, John W. Peterson, and uh, it, it, it just kind of typifies that. He goes, uh, you know, ring the bells, oh, ring the bells, let the whole world know Christ was born in Bethlehem many years ago. God the Father gave the Son, gave his own beloved one, to this wicked, sinful earth, to bring mankind his love new birth. Ring the bells, oh, ring the bells, let the whole world know. Christ the Savior lives today, as he did so long ago. He will not be ignored. Christmas may be over, <laughs> but his presence is here forever. It resides in us. His spirit resides in us. We cannot make a habitual practice of sin because of that. And he has a place prepared for us. Hallelujah. Yeah, let's, let's sing a little handle. <laughs> Father, thank you for the joy that we have in knowing this one who came for the express purpose of destroying the works of the enemy. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to kill our hope. He wants, really, to do everything that he can to steal those things in our life that are meant for joy. His destructive force has been on this globe for longer than any human being. And yet you continue to preserve us and protect us. So help us as we uh, help others get a sense of this God who, who showed up who will not be ignored as we continue to serve him from Christmas to Easter all the way back to Thanksgiving and 
then all over again. Thank you that the world acknowledges his presence. That even though they may not understand it, those songs still ring out. People know the words. I pray that it would take root in each one of their hearts as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Number 203. Is that still the green hymnal? And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Now, this is uh, one that uh, is tough not to sing all the verses because it, it, it has connective tissue in it. Uh, that one verse leads to the next. So let's sing uh, all four stanzas if we could. All right. Why don't you stand to your feet while we sing? 203, I'm sorry, 203. 203, and can it be?
have to pay $99.95 to know uh, Adam, who Adam's helpless race was. You have to join 23andMe to figure out who that is. That's you and me and everybody, right? God bless you. Have a great week. May Christ follow you wherever you go, and may you take him with you. In Jesus' name, amen.